hey, we have Nikita here with us today. Uh, welcome, Nikita. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Awesome. So you were born in Lviv? Yes, uh, I've been. I've. I was born in Lviv, and I have lived in Lviv as my main hometown for my entire life. That's in the west of Ukraine. Mm. And, and what would you say about Lviv? How would you describe it to Americans who don't know anything outside of the United States? I'd say, imagine the the pictures you think about when you think old medieval Europe with narrow streets, high church, high churches, uh, cobblestone, um, like Victorian age stuff. That's how our downtown looks like. So the city is 700 years old and obviously all around it, the suburbs are modern, but the downtown area is very beautiful and very old. And I, I love it here. Mm, fantastic. Um, so, uh, being in Lviv in Western Ukraine, you have more distance from Russia than, you know, the Eastern side. Yes, uh, what, definitely. what was, yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what was the level of concern that something would happen, uh, you know, in early 22 among yourself, your friends, peers, family? I'd say until the very morning of February 24th, we didn't really believe that, that an invasion would happen, that a, a real war would happen. Because on one thing, we I am following the news, and I'm uh, often, like, I daily check up on the BBC, so I'm not only listening to local news, but international as well. And even though the... U.S. intelligence and even Ukrainian intelligence were saying that the war might happen. Um, <clears throat> sorry, we've seen buildup of Russian troops on the border a year before that, and then the year before that, and then the year before that. So we, it's like they're just threatening us again. They will, they won't do anything. But we were wrong. Mm. Right, and so oh, go ahead. Uh, I, the only thing that, that changed was maybe the day before, the, the 23rd. That, that was when I really felt that something might happen. Um, because we, uh, we were working on our creative project with my wife, and we had an event scheduled for early March, and we were discussing whether or not we should move it or, or uh, cancel it because of the news. And... Um, she she is uh, a volunteer aid worker in her spare time, um, and then she is also an a political activist, and she has like people she knows in parliament, and on on the the day before the invasion, the parliament started discussing putting a state of emergency throughout the country, and this is when when she told me, I don't know what, but I have a feeling that that something that we should cancel the event. I, I don't. I can't explain it with reasons. I just feel it. We need to cancel our event, or at least move it. And that's what we did on the evening on the twenty third. We we wrote a message that that we're delaying um, the project that we were working on. Okay, and then the twenty fourth arrived. 
Yeah, and, and uh, then five in the morning she woke me up with the words, the war has begun. And uh, what what came next for you guys after that? So, um, the, two things happened if, if we talk about the family in, in general. Uh, me, myself, and, and children, we... We were in confusion for the first day or two. It was shock and confusion, and we were just trying to understand what's going on, how bad is it, do we need to do anything about it? So we were following the news. We um, took out, uh, uh, we got an old radio out of uh, out of storage so that we could listen to the radio, not just internet, uh, because official announcements were coming over the radio as well. And um, we were just confused, shocked, and holding our breath. Uh, in the meantime, my wife, however, uh, started driving all around town. So I know she has friends in the in the military. She had friends in um, in the pol- in, in different uh, political establishments and among volunteer aid workers. So from the very morning, she got into the car and started driving around, trying to get supplies, help people, and then uh, one one sometime on the first or second day, it's hard to remember this, she came back and says, I'm going to uh, the enlistment office. I will, I'm going to join the military. And we... We kind of talked about this many years ago, first when Russia invaded in 2014, when they annexed Crimea and when they um, assisted the uh, rebellion, the uprising in the east, on, in Donbass. And we talked about that we love Ukraine and we especially love Kiev because we have so many friends in, in the capital and we, um, and the office of Doximi obviously is in the capital. And one of one of the things we talked about this, if if they go further than uh, the East, if they try to threaten Kiev or Western Ukraine, we will fight. So that, that, that's a, like a pledge we made many years ago. And, uh, God damn it, I'm, I'm tearing up talking about this. And on this first or second day of the invasion, she came and said, it's time. So now she has enlisted. She is serving with a platoon of soldiers. She is a combat medic with them right now, and she is now in the East. Right. Wow. I'm. I'm. I'm sure that's that's very tough. Um, and so uh, I'll go back a little bit uh, with. Lviv being in Western Ukraine, that is mm-hmm. where, that is where many of our Doximi colleagues actually fled to from east the eastern side of Ukraine. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Th- did you or your family, your kids, have any thoughts of like getting out of the country uh, at any point? Sure, we definitely had to consider this, and we thought about it, and we talked about this, uh, and we. Um, <laughs> at Doximi, I work as a scrum master, so I am responsible for making sure that our software development process and our 
policies are agile, that we can pivot and, and change gear when we need to. And so this is the same principle I apply to many, in many areas of my own life. So we were agile about it. We, we said, okay, for now, it seems like there are not, no ground invasion forces threatening Western Ukraine and Lviv at this time. So only Kiev, uh, so north, east, and south, not west. And um, we had several um, cruise missile strikes in, in Lviv, uh, but nowhere near our house. And we, we, we are following the protocol. If there is an air raid alarm, so we are going down to the basement. Um, well, that, that's, a, that's a separate topic, but we, we are taking measures to protect from, from, from airstrikes. So we consider this is safe enough for me and we have two children. So I stayed behind here with two children and it's safe enough uh, for now. And we still have several other Doximia employees here in Lviv as well who decided to stay and uh, it is safe, uh, safe enough for now. All right, and what have, what have things been like in your home with you and your children since your wife enlisted? Um, you know, we are trying to follow the best advice we've found online, which is try to be aware of the dangers and prepare for them, but still try to have as much of a normal life as possible to protect uh, us ourselves from nervous breakdowns and from depression. So we are still, the children are still uh, attending uh, that, that's so so doxymi is telemedicine what's the what's the term for teleeducation <laughs> so they yeah. still have lessons online with their with their teachers um we have uh, some of them are going still to their sporting events and uh, uh sport clubs and obviously again these go down to shelters if there's an air raid alarm but it's not often in lviv so they still get their training uh, we, we are trying to keep up as much as a normal life as we can. And we try to be in touch with Irene, with my wife, daily on, on video or on phones. And uh, we are obviously worried. Uh, I'm more worried than most because I, I, I am adult and I understand the dangers more than the children do. But still, we, we, we are very proud of her and we, uh, we wouldn't change what we did it's we we think we're doing the right thing and we're like yeah we're trying to do the best thing we can absolutely uh what what sports do your kids play so my um older son uh, is uh, training in soccer and in jujitsu and my daughter uh, the younger child has just picked up um Something like air acrobatics. It, I, I don't know how to describe it better. Okay. So kind of like gymnastics. Yeah. But... Okay. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Awesome. I, uh, I, soccer, football is my favorite sport. So I hope, I hope your son loves it. Oh, yes, he does. He, uh, he, he made us uh, find uh, a club that would accept... Uh, and who trains children and uh, made us 
let him go there. <laughs> All right. Sounds like he's a, uh, a ambitious little guy, or oh yes, at is. least uh, stubborn. Awesome, awesome. Uh, all right, and so it's excellent that you guys still get to talk with Irene yep. um, every day. How how does she seem to be doing when you talk with her? She seems to be okay. It's it's a hard life because sometimes they 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 have they, they live in the normal conditions. Sometimes they have to live in trenches for days. Um, so the, it's it's just physically and mentally uh, more difficult than the normal life. But uh, the the guys she she is serving with are supporting her. Uh, there obviously are still issues uh, with female servicemen, uh, service people. Uh, she still has to prove that, that she is worth it more than, than others. But in general, she she's happy with the choices she made. She is, um, I'd say she sounds more stable and, and, and healthy and emotionally uh, strong than, than she was even before the, the events. So she... It, it gives her strength and um, there were some problems with supplies at the beginning there were not enough body armor not enough helmets not enough anything but now both with the government and with so many so much aid coming in both from people inside Ukraine and from international help the, the help is phenomenal and they have now they've got almost everything they want yeah I've heard in some of the other stories people have talked about, um, volunteer organizations had to turn down volunteer help because too many people were signing up. Yeah, um, I've know, heard that in as well. City locations, which is just—I mean—such an amazing response. And uh, what also inspires me, and I'm—I'm I'm awed by this, is that the enlistment centers where uh, they're mobilizing people for the military. They have like lines standing there for people who want to join, and my wife Irene, she she stood in that line for like two or three days to get her turn to be to be uh, to be mobilized. Wow, she sounds incredible. Oh, she is truly. <laughs> I know you know that. Um, wow. So uh, a few of our colleagues have talked about the strangeness of how normal life in Lviv seems like. I mean, your kids are playing sports, restaurants are open, um, and they've talked about the strangest strangeness of knowing what's going on for other people. And I imagine you see that in in Zoom with with your wife. Um, mm -hmm. Could you describe Could you describe a little bit what that feeling? has been like i think it's a very good question but doesn't have a simple answer uh, i can try my best to cover several points of view on this on on one hand um it wasn't the same on on every day in the first days everything stopped so even here in live in western ukraine all restaurants were closed for a week or two everything was closed nobody was working nobody was understanding what's going on so everybody was afraid everybody was deciding should we stay should we flee what, what should we do and then gradually week by week when we 
realized how great uh, a job our military is doing protecting us and that Lviv really isn't at least is not in the direct path of the invasion and we are relatively safe for now here uh, week by week um, life started to return and business started opening up open opening back up um, so this is what how it was for us but then I can also imagine that the shock and the difference is probably much worse for people who fled the areas of active fighting, people who had to leave their homes, people who have seen explosions up close. Uh, for them, this is the, the, the contrast is probably much greater, So, but I cannot attest to it, I can only imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, have you gone to the the Doximi Lviv hub? Oh, yes. To- yeah. Uh, we I, I have to mention that the Doximi uh, management was thoughtful uh, enough and uh, proactive enough that several weeks before the invasion, uh, our man, our uh, HR people found uh, an office uh, an office space with bedrooms in in Lviv just 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 for this specific eventuality, and it did help and many people uh, stayed over. Uh, for uh, for a while, some people still live and work there. I've been I've visited it several times. I don't really need to because I I'm still living in my home, and I'm talking to you from my apartment, from my working desk. Uh, so I'm more, of, I, I feel like my family, like everyone here in in Western Ukraine, is kind of more fortunate and privileged to be, to have most of our life intact. So. I'm not using up space reserved for people who 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 have to go, who have to come, who have to flee. Uh, but I've been there, I've visited, and we we've had pizza with our uh, coworkers, and it was great. All right, and uh, so what what has working been like for you with all of this going on? Have you been able to work? Do you feel like um, do you do you feel like you're bringing your best work forward? Oh, that's an interesting question. Again, multifaceted answer. On one hand, especially even in the first weeks when everything was much less clear and we were much more nervous about everything, I found stability and certainty and I felt calm when I came back to work, when I joined uh, online calls with the colleagues when I was working with um, our task tracking system. So just r- usual routine, usual conversations, usual rituals that we do, uh, just the, the scrum events, it, it helped bring a, a, a measure of, of safety, normalcy to the life. Um, on the other hand, I realize that we are not working at 100%. So uh, I am personally not working at 100% uh, because some of the time is uh, take, is eaten up by, by, by the anxiety and reading the news. Some of the time is eaten up by uh, air raid alarms when we have to move to a safer place. But, but still, we, we are working. We are 
still producing, so our, our uh, software developers are producing code. We are helping to manage the, the work. It's it's ongoing, and uh, the Doximi platform is still um, improving, and new features are coming online. So um, even though we are not at 100%, we are adding value as much as we can. All right, and I know, I know we appreciate that, but hopefully, uh, hopefully the healthcare professionals pr appreciate it too. That rely on us. Um, but uh, I, I want to ask: Do you, do you have more uh, extended family in Ukraine, and are they all safe? Uh, yes, uh, we, I have more extended family and friends. I have a lot of friends as well, uh, all over Ukraine, mostly in Kiev, but in other cities uh, as well. But for now, as far as I know, everyone that I count close and dear to my heart, everyone is alive and safe. That's that's wonderful to hear. Um, Nikito, I'd like to open the floor to you a little bit. Is there uh, something you'd like to add, something you'd like to say that you feel like we haven't really touched on or that our audience should know? I, I might. Um, on the first thing I just wanted to mention is how great the support from the Doximi management and other co-workers has been. So I've, I don't, I, I know many people working in, uh, in tech uh, in Ukraine. Not all companies have been as helpful as Doximi has been. We, we, are free so our jobs are secure we are free to work even more flexible hours than we than we were before um, and we if if any one of us needs help with transportation housing anything that's that 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 the people may be in need of um, our co-workers and our management at Doximi are helping and this is just great this is such a great atmosphere such a great such a great culture in the company. I think it, it stems from how it was founded, from the people at the top, from, from the, the culture that we've been building uh, through the years, and it, 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 it works. Yeah, I, I think we are all glad that they had the foresight and the organization to make this plan ahead of time and that now at this point it has gone so well and gotten I think almost the entirety of the team out of yellow zones and uh, red zones too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, and one more thing that I might want to mention is my personal experience. This unrelated to the company, unrelated to even my family to a larger extent, is the fact that I am half Russian by blood. So my father and all of his ancestors come from Russia. And so I still consider myself Ukrainian. I do have a Ukrainian passport. And uh, But before 2014, I really shared this view that that many 
um, even Russian media uh, are still pushing that that we are like friendly nations, very close, related nations with Russia and Ukraine. Mm. And I was part of the people who actually believed that. I was um, I was proud to have uh, Russian heritage and the fact that I've I've gone to a school in Lviv in Western Ukraine, which was Russia, which had Russian speaking lessons, and and we we learned all the Russian culture and the great poets and the great writers and everything, and it felt so in 2014 when Russia uh, annexed Crimea and uh, incited the the separatist uprising in Donbas, I felt betrayed. I personally felt. Like my own people struck me in the back, and since then I'm not proud anymore. I'm kind of ashamed, uh, and it's it's like I had to. They 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 themselves destroyed destroyed my good relationship to them, and uh, I don't know. You you may hear. Uh, at least we've heard it often, especially in 2014, but now with this invasion as well, as well, that part of the reason for the Russian forces coming in is to protect Russian-speaking people from Ukrainian nationalists. This is... They've done more damage than, than, than help. They've done... They've made... It's hard to to pick up words. Uh, the invasion actually proved that the Ukrainian patriots were correct that we have to fear them. That hmm. that they are not friendly. <laughs> and um, I know a lot of people who. Uh, so I was I've I've been using Russian language in my home uh, with my parents all my life, and uh, I use it sometimes in my home with my children as well and i know so many people who are like that who have either russian heritage or they're just used to using russian language in in, in ukraine after february 24th 2022 they are switching to ukrainian language and they are uh, distancing themselves as far as they can from from the Russian government and even the Russian culture, because this is this is not who we are. Wow. So that wow. there you go. Yeah. Do you have family that is in Russia right now? I know I have extended family, like third cousins and so on. Uh, my parents are in in contact with some of them i personally just haven't been in contact with them for years so it doesn't hit me so so hard now but yeah they i i probably so i i know i do but i don't know how they feel and what they know and right. even um uh, on the related note i have several very close friends childhood friends who are now in russia and some of them have gotten russian passports and it's strange, it's a very strange experience talking to them because they don't say anything specific. Like they say, they can say, we are, what, what, what is happening in Ukraine is a tragic, it's awful, 
and then they will not elaborate. They will not elaborate why, they wouldn't elaborate who, who, who is at fault or what's to be done about it. I don't know why. Either they're afraid or they don't, or they think differently. But they, they're just, they are very reserved in what they tell us. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, if, if you'll just give me a second, I want to, I want to think about it. You've, you've shared a lot with me. Um, wow. So, so this, uh, this kind of thing that you've experienced, uh, you believe is a sweeping notion kind of across Ukraine right now, which is of people of partially Russian, partially Ukrainian descent are denouncing kind of part of themselves. I think so. Uh, I cannot speak for everybody, but like the people that I know, uh, and I know many Russian speaking people in Ukraine or people with partial Russian descent, they are either completely distancing themselves from, from everything Russian altogether, or at the minimum, they are uh, supporting, very clearly supporting Ukraine, Ukrainian government, Ukrainian military in defending our independence, and they are helping, and they are um, collecting aid, and they are uh, donating money, uh, both to refugee uh, organizations, but also to uh, organizations that support the military and uh, if if any of you are watching uh, footage online from from the firefights and from the war itself half maybe even more of the soldiers of Ukrainian military soldiers who are protecting us right now they are speaking Russian but they are still defending Ukraine right and I, I don't think you need to say anything more about uh, to show how proud you are of the Ukrainian people and the response of the people to uh, this situation. Um, Nikita, it has been an absolute pleasure. It's been amazing talking with you. Uh, um, thank you very much for having me, and, and you are absolutely correct. I am uh, very proud to be born in this place in this time, even though it's very scary, and the events... And the losses are, are very tragic, but I am still proud to be uh, a Ukrainian. I'm still proud of my uh, of the Ukrainian government and country. I am proud of my family. I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of the company I work for. I'm proud for, of Doximi. Uh, I I th I'm I'm fortunate to be uh, in such good hands. Mm -hmm. And we're we're fortunate at Doximi to have you. So, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you very much for your time.